there a doctor in the house? Hey, it's Dr. Lisa, and it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. I I hear somebody hammering. I don't know if you guys can hear that or not, but uh you know, we're not we're not like uh in a remote location. We're in the middle of a bunch of tenements in Brooklyn, so sometimes there's hammering. Wait, wait, that's the way it goes. Anyway, thanks for joining me today. I am really, really excited about uh, the guest I have on, who I'm going to introduce in a second. He's very high profile, especially for for Radio Free Brooklyn. I think I think he knows that. I think he knows that. I'm I'm going to try not to get intimidated. I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. But uh, you know, um, work with me here. I wish that I could like see you guys or hear you guys out there because you could give me a round of applause and then my I would feel a lot more confident but uh, I'm just going to have to do that for myself which is part of what I've been trying to work out in therapy anyway how to give myself the sense of confidence that I need instead of being um, propped up by other people oh Jesus do you really even give a shit about that Anyway, so um, thanks so much for uh, tuning in, and I, I want you to know that uh, I'm with Radio Free Brooklyn, and it's the best ra- uh, radio station in the Western Hemisphere, uh, bar none. I've listened to all of them, and this is the best. And um, I also want to remind you that uh, it would be really cool if you like it and you want to have, you know how like everybody's into like freedom and voting and having like free rights and all this stuff. Well, you know what? If you give like fifty, we're we're act, asking like fifty cents or a dollar, even a dollar a month to Radio Free Brooklyn. If you just go to the website, click on the donate button, and just give us a little bit of cash. Because um, we're not making we we are not looking to make money. We are just looking to keep doing what are what we're doing. And if you want to do something that's worthwhile, and in that spirit of Bernie Sanders who got fucked, and that doesn't even mean that I'm necessarily uh, voted for Bernie Sanders, uh, because uh, I I don't like to get into politics because I already have enough hostility out there or fear of hostility. Back to me. Back to you. So anyway, Jim Mandrinos is here today. Hi, Jim. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Um, thank you so much for being here. Oh, anytime. 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 Well, well you know, this is like uh, you're 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 probably one of the more the more uh, accomplished or let's say you know what I'm thinking, Jim. I'm thinking that out of all the people um, I've had on the show so far, it's been almost a year. You probably have at least met more famous people than anyone else. Uh, yeah, probably. In, in probably. Because um, for those of you that don't know Jim, uh, if there is anyone out there, there are people. Because, you know, yeah, everybody's in their own little world. Anyway, Jim Andrinos is uh, a quintessential comedian. Jim, are you in your 50s? I uh, just turned it in my fifties. Fifties, forty. Yeah. Just forty. I mean, the 50s. only reason 51. I even the only reason I even ask that is because you've been doing comedy so long. You know, uh, I wouldn't even think you were in your forties. Yeah. Uh, so Jim has been doing comedy basically since um, the earth cooled. The earth cooled, as he likes to say, but really since he was nineteen. I've there's a lot of information um, about him on the web since he's well known. So. I've tried to absorb it all so I don't have to repeat it, and I won't get bored, and he won't get bored. 
Um, so I'm just going to tell you a couple little things about Jim before we uh, delve into delve into the world of Jim. Um, so Jim is a very, very well-respected comedian. Um, he's also a filmmaker, videographer, photographer, writer. He has a really uh, esteemed web series, right, Jim? Three million viewers or something? Um, yeah, it's, it went to TV. It's called Living in Exile. And uh, it's on Launch TV and also on TV Tibby, some of those new upstart channels that popped up. So we made the jump from web to television. Yeah, I mean, see what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? He's very accomplished. And he also wrote this book called, uh, what is it, Comedy Complete, for uh, Complete Idiot's Guide to Comedy Writing. Yes, and he teaches a lot, so I'm hoping to learn something here. Maybe I, you know what, I could probably save some money by just spending this whole uh, time trying to get him to teach me Jim, maybe you should just teach me comedy for free. <laughs> we have an hour. I think we can cover all of it in an hour. Um, but um, I find, like, I know a lot about Jim, but I don't really know Jim. This is really our first meeting. But I've read a lot about Jim, so I'm going to tell you guys out there in in uh, in uh, in ear earland. In listening land, radio, internet radio land, what I know about Jim, and then we'll, we'll see where we go from there. Okay, so we know Jim is 51. I just learned that right now. He's from um, Immigrant and White Trash. You said White Trash? Immigrant, White Trash, that lovely combination. And your dad was immigrant My, from Greece? Greece. Yeah. And your mom is an uh, immigrant from a white a trailer park? <laughs> <laughs> My mom's family is like, my mom was second generation um, Irish Catholic, Bronx, you know, born and raised. So it was, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, not too, uh, not too classy, not too upscale. not too classy. So, um, and Jim has lived in um, every borough except Staten Island. Thank God. Uh, so uh, you're not playing. Yes. Yeah, so you're, you know, you manage. What you don't like fairies? <laughs> you know what I. I I, I, I like the people of Brooklyn and Queens and the Bronx and Manhattan a little more than I like the people of South. Ah, uh, see, yeah, he's, uh, I'll be so, honest. Yeah, yeah, that makes I. You know what? I'm with you on that. I'm I, with you. I, I'm I with you on that. This is where I live based on neighbors more than anything else. I think that's really, really wise, especially in this uh, economy and real estate market. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so we know that about Jim. We know he's been married married twice. Yep. Uh, and you're are you single now, or you still? I am, I am currently single, single? but yeah. uh, seriously dating slash engaged to somebody. Oh, really? Is yeah. it a comedian? No, no. What I've learned my lesson. What does she uh, do? Uh, she is a former teacher who now is an administrator for the YWCA. Wow. Yeah. So, like, real job, real person in the world. Wow. What do you consider your real job? I mean, you don't have, like, you have your own business, but is one of the things that you do, like, more? Well, if somebody asks, what do I do, I always say stand-up because that's, that's what, that's you what are. I do. And that's everything flows from that. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm one of those rare and really lucky people that gets to make their living as an artist. You know, right. I've gotten, you know, mm -hmm. this year so far, I've been paid as a stand-up. I've been paid as a photographer. I've been paid as uh, a video producer, a television producer, um, a TV director. You know, so I've done 
a lot of different jobs, but artist is always the mm-hmm. the overarching description. Yeah, and do you think? I mean, I don't really hear a lot of um, stand up comics t- talking t- talking about it that way. Do you? No, no. Well, most I'm comics about that. Yeah, most comics think of it as you know, if I'm not doing stand up, I'm not doing anything. But it's all connected. But also, I mean, like there seems to be. Uh, maybe a certain kind of humility in what you're saying in that, um, or I'd like to believe that, um, or maybe I'm just intimidated by you. Uh, counter, counter transference alert. Uh (laughs) No, I think that, um, you, you really are motivated by the work. That's what I think I'm trying to say. Yeah, I absolutely, you are the work. I absolutely love, um, you know, my, my two favorite things, artistically is one feeling that wave of of laughter come up and wash over you when you're on stage as a comedian. Um, That's an indescribable feeling that I don't think you can understand until you stand on stage and it happens to you. And the other one is the unbelievable sense of pride and satisfaction. Whenever I take something that's blank, be it uh, a piece of paper that I'm about to put a story on or, you know, a, a piece of film that I'm about to take a photo on, and I get a story onto that. Those, mm-hmm. to me, those two things are, that's what I'm in it mm-hmm. for. The The money's great, but mm-hmm. I got to be honest, if if the world decided they weren't paying for art tomorrow, I'm one of those people that would still have to do it. Right, you right. Know, it, it's It's more than... What I do, it's who I am. Are you a bit of a workaholic? Maybe is I, that? Do you yeah. think of yourself that way? Yeah, I mean, you sound I, really driven. That's why I'm getting set to take um, in my adult life, which now spans uh, twenty three years, eleven years, eleven years. Yeah, uh, I've taken forty. Starts at forty. Yes, one honey, uh, one honeymoon and uh, one vacation. I'm about to take my second vacation. Are you with your girlfriend, your yeah. fiance? Yeah, we're, where are you going? Um, she uh, booked a cruise of all things and said, you're going someplace with no internet access for a week. Oh my gosh. A woman after my own heart. Yeah. That's exactly, you know, she and I, she and I bonded right there, right there about the internet access thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm addicted to it. Yeah. Yeah. So is my husband. And I, yeah, I, you know what? Forget it. Just get her over here. I will. We can just bitch about it. (laughs) She would too. She would totally because he's not there. You're not in the moment with me. You're not paying. You're not even. You don't even hear what I say. You never remember anything because you're always on your phone. Yeah. You know. Did I get that right? Yeah, and for me, it's also I conduct such a tremendous amount yeah. of business on the phone between True. checking my email to get a gig because you know in, in stand up if you don't reply to yeah. a gig offer and. Less than half a second, somebody else took it. Sure. Um, and then, you know, with the photography, now I have to keep constantly posting on Instagram to keep the brand out there. So, you know, it, it's like I'm – and um, yeah. I do radio calls for another network. I won't say which one. And contractually, I have to tweet four or five times a day every oh, day. Oh, wow. Because okay. it's in the contract. So, I mean, all of that is just – too much of my life is spent looking down into the palm of my hand. Right, right, right. Well, how long have you been with your fiance? Um, about three years. So she met you. See, here's my complaint about my husband. 
um, is that when we met, we met 15 years ago. They uh. didn't have like that whole that whole you know uh, smartphone thing. So I got. I bought. I got. He got grandfathered into it. But what about your wife? You must have been when you were dating her. You must have been on your phone or something. Um, uh, when I was last married, we got together in '99, and I was one of the last human beings on the planet to have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. I hated the idea of it. I never wanted to be that accessible. Mm-hmm. And um, I had taken a job writing for a television show called uh, Thunderbox, and they, mm-hmm. um, like two weeks after I started there, they gave me a promotion and made me the showrunner, and they said we, they had to be, uh, at that point it was a Blackberry, that was <laughs> what the big phone was back then, they went, we need to be able to get you 24-7. Sure. And that was the beginning of the end for me, because uh, prior to that, when people started getting beepers around 91, 92, I didn't have one until 97. Um, people started getting cell phones in 96. I didn't have one till 2001. 2000 was when wow. I got my first one. You know, i just very resistant to it. And how about now? Now, do you feel differently, though? No. I, I mean, I would love to be able to not do it. I, I'm one of those rare people that shuts it off. Like, when I decide business hours are over, it's off. See, yeah, I wish, yeah, I got to talk to Phil about, see, that's, that sounds really reasonable to me. I don't think she has that much to complain about then. If you have that attitude. Yeah. See, I feel like he wants to be on it. Yeah, it's work, right? Yeah, but yeah, the problem is my work day is usually 16 to 18 hours long, so. Well, you're running a a business. Yeah. It's your own business and, and that's, that's the way that, that's the way that goes. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, like, I have so many things I want to – there's so many areas that we could talk about. Like, I want to talk about, um, you know, your childhood because you're from um, a family of, you know, an immigrant white trash parents. And I want to know how that influenced you. Oh, and do we also – we mentioned that you've been – that you're sober, too. I wanted to put that out there, too, Mm -hmm. because we talked about that. And how long have you been sober? Uh, 92. Wow. So that must have been intense also. But um, because you have so many stories, I'm sure I just want to hear quickly your best comedy job and your worst comedy job. Oh, wow. Um, Well, you know, best comedy jobs to me are always the ones where I perform for the troops. Mm -hmm. I that's something I adore doing. First of all, you travel all over the world, which is, you know, I've been to Alaska, I've been to remote islands in the Pacific, I've been to the Middle East, I've been to Africa, you know, so wow. the locations for that are, you know... Do you know Carol beautiful. Montgomery? Yeah, she I've and I... have taken a couple of classes with her. Yeah, and she and I are the ones that travel together. We do oh, that so together. you're good friends with her, right? Yeah. I love her, and she's, she's such sweet. a great teacher. Oh my God, yeah. she's so good. But, At QED. QED yeah. is great. We love QED. Go I, ahead. I've not been there yet. Oh, really? I'm yet. a huge fan of that place. Um, but for me, it's the audience there. I mean, the soldiers are so um, hungry for any taste of something that feels like home mm. that they 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 really are a tremendously wonderful audience. And then you spend four, five, six hours after the show just talking to them. Oh, that must be so, so incredible. Yeah, it's um, – you know, I'll tell this story as quickly as I can, but I was on a base in the Middle East and it was um, 
it was a closed base. You're not allowed to call out from it when you're there, and you're not allowed to tell anyone you're there. It doesn't exist as far as, uh, you know, anybody knows. Right. Um, and we were there to entertain them. And for us, we were there for four days. And it was a hardship not being able to have internet access, tell anybody we're there. I mean, literally, when we landed in the country, we had 15 minutes to text everyone, landed safe, I will talk to you again when I'm in this country. Wow. Um, um, but we forget those soldiers are stationed there for six months, a year, two years. And they can't get, they can't get in touch. They're yeah. just, what do their families think? Well, um, I did a show, and there was this one young kid who comes up to me and goes, hey, you mentioned that, uh, that you were from Brooklyn. I went, yeah. And he goes, I live in Brooklyn. We, we, we start talking about, you know, Sheepshead Bay in the old days. He goes, my mom still lives here. He goes, can you do me a favor? And they said, sure, what, what's your favor? He goes, if I give you my mom's number, when you get back to the States, will you call her and tell her that you saw me and that I'm safe? Oh, my God. That just, like, made my, yeah. I don't know, my insides uh, move in some way that yeah. I can't really explain. And uh, apparently he had a, a brother who had uh, passed away mm. um, in, in – uh, Desert Shield or Desert Storm, no. whichever the second yeah. one was. Uh-huh. Um, and so his mom was unbelievably worried that he was now in the Middle East. Oh, it must be torture. And uh, I didn't wait till I got back to the States. I waited till I went to the next country, which was an open country. And I called her I called her up long distance. I said, ma'am, Sweet. you don't know me, but, you know, your son uh. and here's your son. Here's his rank. Uh. And uh, he's safe. And he is cooking on this military base, making lots of meals. Um, they all taste terrible, but he's doing it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> So you gave her a bad report. <laughs> well, let's face it, army chow is not the best in the world. How they do what they the do eating that. Said, yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So she was just so grateful. Uh, and I can't, I've been over their house since uh, I'm back. You know, they've come to my it. shows. Um, was she was, crying? When oh, you, yeah. And what, on the, the phone, she was crying, right? Yeah. And that was also in the middle of when I was getting divorced. And I don't have much family living mm. in this country. Mm. So they went out of their way to invite me to come to their house for Christmas. And Beautiful. I was there like, oh, that's very sweet. But no. And they would not take no for an answer. And I mean, he literally. He and his dad drove into where I was living and just said, we're, we're taking you. You're a hostage. Aww. You don't have a choice. So did yeah. that kid come back? Uh, yeah, he came back. He came back and uh, – Yeah, right now he's uh, – if I'm – you know, I've been out of touch with him for a couple of months now. But last I heard from him, he had re-upped and he was stationed now in Hawaii, which ah, is nice. a, yeah, a much – Is it scary being in a country like that? Where you in a, in a base like that where you can't? Yeah, is that frightening? It, it's a little. Do you feel like you're under attack, or you that some? I mean, they must be. You involved feel incredibly in very, safe. You do feel. Yeah. I mean, you're surrounded by people with machine yeah, guns everywhere. And, you know, it's so you feel safe, but where you don't feel safe is getting to and from the base. Ah, uh, you know what I mean. That's yeah. where it's like, oh, yeah, they they don't like us much here. Uh, yeah, that that sounds scary. Yeah. Okay, so worst, that worst was the comedy word. job. Uh, um, all right. I had gotten talked into uh, doing a gig. I was headlining a club in Clark, New Jersey called Penny Arcade. Okay, what, 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 um, what 80s, 90s? It was 90s. 
late 90s, early 90s? Mid 90s, like 93, okay. 94. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it had to be 93 or 94. Okay. Because I had just, it was before I moved to LA briefly and, and uh, mm-hmm. I was still living in New York. And I went to the Penny Arcade where I had a weekend. And I get a phone call from another booker and he goes, Hey, I see you're going to be in Clark, New Jersey on the weekend. He goes, do you want to pick up a Saturday afternoon gig, which is an extra $500? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, 500 mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And he goes, okay, it's at such and such senior center. And I'm like, hold it. I don't know if that's a gig for me. He goes, no, it's a private event. They rented it out. It's just like they rented out a VFW hall. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, I said, what's the organization? And he goes, it's a group called the Widows 40 Club. Mm-hmm. And I'm there like, uh, he goes, no, these are all women who are in their 40s who've been recently widowed and they have a social club, you know, and you're 30s and single. You might even meet somebody. I mean, he grabbed whatever load of hooey he could get. 40, to get widows, me. yeah, widows, yeah. making widows laugh at, at yeah. any age. That's a challenge. Yeah. But, yeah. but I mean, I don't, I don't mind that kind of a challenge because no. I, I like to try to make anybody laugh. Sure. But when I got there, it was the Widows 40 Club. But it wasn't 40-year-old widows. It was women who have been widowed for 40 years or more. Um, the youngest woman in the room was in her 70s. Wow. Yeah. The next youngest was about to hit 90. And wow. there were so many 90-year-olds in the room. It was bre- – I've never been in the room with that many 90-year-olds. So did they even like – 90-year-olds, are they, like, what kind of audience is that? Are they even, like, cognizant of what's going on? Or can they hear or can they re- respond? I can't even imagine it trying ran, to. It ran the gamut from semi-comatose to, you know, really into the show. I, <laughs> I had to talk about food and driving and the Brooklyn Dodgers. That's that, There was nothing else I could talk about because they weren't going to get any of the modern references. They weren't going to get the music I was going to talk about or – you know, so you have enough material yeah. you can handle. Yeah, but you can just handle to get caught like by that. surprise. And, yeah, you yeah. know. And back mm-hmm. then, I had only been doing comedy uh, at that point nine years, so it's not like I have the wealth I have right now material. Right, right. So it, it was an effort, but wow. um, that was that was the most stressed I was at any gig. And you got ever. paid paid five hundred bucks though. That yeah. sounds like a lot of money in the mid nineties. Yeah. Wow, well, that must be a really quality uh, club there. Uh, well, that that was a private event, and I think they offered that much money because they knew how bad the gig. And be. and also those widows, you know, they've yeah. got a lot of money. Do they? Well, you know, because they they've their husbands they they've been the, they've lived that long. Like all their relatives have died, and like they got everybody's money. You wow. know what I mean? Probably. I Who knows? I, I don't know. You should have married one. Should have. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have had more money for my art. Yeah. Yeah. So um, okay. So let's see if we can um, you know. So I want to understand like okay. So. By your nature, I'm going to say, I'm going to take a guess and say, like, there's everything about you, like, from the moment you were born, like, this person's born to be a comedian, right? Yeah. I was one of those really weird nine-year-olds who could do a Foster Brooks impression. Yeah. So, but there must have been something in your family. Like, I want to know how, you know, having an immigrant, how, I want to hear a little bit about how your parents, were your parents an unusual, like, is it must an unusual to have... A father from Greece, and was he like different than the American, the other kid's dad, uh, and how that affected you? Stuff like well, that. Um, I, in my act, I joke around that um, my father is Greek and my mom was a green card because that that's pretty much 
the very definition of, of what happened. Um, mm-hmm. It was my dad's second marriage. His uh, first wife had him deported when their marriage wasn't working out. And he came back and uh, came into the country illegally a second time and found my mom and got her to marry him. And uh, she married him because her side of the family was so incredibly racist. And I mean unbelievably racist that my dad was probably the darkest skinned man she could marry um, and guarantee giving her family a heart attack and still be okay in the 1950s. So you, you felt like she was being rebellious to oh, her yeah. family by marrying your Greek father? Oh, yeah. She just wanted out of that house, um, and he just wanted a green card. And so there wasn't a lot of— um, Love? Well, I there was love for the children, but not a lot of love for each other. So what, I, what, what, what they had a business transaction. What right? I see. You know, and, and were you aware of that as a little kid, or like were they distant? What were they like? They like you would see your friends' parents, and they'd be affectionate. You know what I mean? They'd laugh mm-hmm. together. They'd have a good time. My parents never. It was they fought or sat in silence. The, mm. the, there were two modes. A lot of silence. A lot of silence. So and, for me, that was like okay, you know. This this is not this is not interesting. This isn't fun. So I I gravitated towards where I'd hear a lot more laughter, a lot more, you know, spirited conversation. You know. Mm-hmm. And um, so where would did you have brothers or sisters? I have uh yeah, from my father's first marriage there was a brother and sister. Did they grow up with you? No, they were they were mm-hmm. already in their 20s when I was born. I was the mm-hmm. baby of the uh, mm-hmm. the group. And but were I there had, other kids that you grew up with? Yeah, I have two older sisters. One was 8 years older than me and the other was 6 years older than me. So we grew up together, but I was I was always the youngest. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So you know, it was um, it was different because, you know, just going around and seeing those other kids and, like, I'd go to other kids' houses and see their parents and I'm like, okay, well, all of my friends have similar type parents that get along in similar ways and my parents don't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being a little bit of a smart kid, I was able to figure out really early, oh, my parents are the weirdos. Okay, mm-hmm. now I got mm-hmm. it. Did your sisters compensate for any of that? Was it lo- what did it feel like? Was it lonely? Did it make you angry? No, like how I, did it feel, or did you just want to not be home? I was never home. I was uh, I was never home. Uh, my sisters, um, my older sister would check out my reading. She would always be in the house, but always be in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a younger, uh, another sister, um, middle sister Mary, who. Uh, she checked out by going into the wrong crowd and hanging out with, mm-hmm. you know, the bad people and, and eventually mm-hmm. drugs and all of that. Mm-hmm. So we all kind of checked out in our own way. Mm. Um, you know, my older sister um, went to Greece when she was 18 and married someone when she was 19. Wow. You know, um, my middle sister fell into drugs. I kept running away as a kid. You running know. away from home? Oh, yeah. they, they would mean call- like? Like with a bindle? <laughs> you, you know how like little neighbor kids like make it to grandma's house or make it to the corner? Yeah. Yeah, I would make it distances. I made it to Mexico at 12, at 14, and at 16. <gasps> Did your parents freak out? Like what What happened there? Uh, there? There was a little bit of freaking out. In my act, you know, there's a joke that I say that I'm, I'm the only white person I know to have been deported from Mexico, which is true. I... At 10, I read On the Road by Kerouac, 
And uh. I read how he hopped a freight train and went down to Mexico. And then I went to the library and researched where freight trains were. And, <laughs> you know, and, and then I went to the crossroads in Hackettstown, New Jersey, where the north to south train goes, the one that runs from Texas to Maine, and had a compass and hopped on one that was going south and rode a freight train down there, then did what they did in the book, waited until I saw a train with, you know, Spanish writing on it and hopped on that train. Wow. So what about, like, fear? Did you have any fear? Or no. maybe maybe you were, this is what I'm going to guess, this is what I'm going to get, I'm going to say this as a, as a therapist, fake therapist. I'm going to say that you were angry at your parents and wanted to just get the hell out of there. And you weren't even afraid because you were so angry. Probably, but, you know, I... Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, well, it's hard for me to say because I had such a wanderlust when I was a child. Ah, curiosity. You know, and I also was so fiercely independent. Like, my mom would do things like drop me off at my grandmother's house. Mm -hmm. um, my grandmother and I hated each other. It wasn't even like it was a mild disdain. Like, when people say, when did you first feel hate? I, I felt it directed towards me from her as a kid. And she was also the first, and to this point in my life, the only person that I've ever actually hated. Mm. Um, and she would drop me off there in the Bronx. And I was that crazy kid that never slept. So I would wait till my grandparents would fall asleep and I would leave the house and I would get on the D train and I would come back home and I'd be in my parents' house at six in the morning. Shit. So where, how did they respond to like all this running away and stuff? I mean, weren't they, were, were they worried or were they just in their own? Um, my dad was significantly older than me. Mm -hmm. um, how old was he when you were born? Was 52. He? Yeah. When, no, my father's 49, but 52 is really old. Yeah. Yeah. So, Especially in those days. And so, and he also, he was born in 1912, and he was a merchant marine by the time he was 12 years old. Ah. So, you know, because of Greek culture and, and the way things were in, in that time. So he didn't see it as this is weird. Whereas, you know, it's 1970, it's 1976, mm -hmm. and I'm running away to Mexico. That's a little weird. Well, I mean, nowadays it seems like your parents could almost get arrested or they something. They probably would get arrested now. What did your father do? Chef. Greek. He worked in a kitchen. What are the odds? <laughs> and what about your mom? Did she? Um, allegedly a stay-at-home mom, in theory. Um, and then became a florist later in life after my dad left. But, you know, it was... Uh, it allegedly <laughs> stay-at-home mom? What? what? Uh, well, it was stay-at-home mom, but she was never home. She was always, you know, she'd grab the kids and take them to the park under the guise of, you know, I'm taking the kids to the park, but it was really I'm hanging out with my friends in the park, and then I'm hanging out with my sisters, and, and I'm hanging out with my brother. So my mom was always somewhere every day, uh -huh. you know, and then, you know. Do you feel like your sisters took care of you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, is did. that who really kind of brought you up a bit? Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely my around. older sister, Liz. My older sister, Liz, who who is still alive, my sister Mary passed, um, refers to me as her first child. Ah. You know, and I learned how to do, um, by the time I got into first grade, I was already doing math. I was already doing, you know, fractions and multiplication uh, at that age because my sister would sit down to 
to work, and she learned by teaching me how to do it. Wow. So, and you were also, you know, interested in in doing it, well, which I think I was more interested with hanging with Liz than yeah. I was, you know, the map. But it did give me a tremendous head start. That's so, so great. Yeah, I was always, I was always a few, I was always like four or five grades ahead in math, you know, wow. four or five grades ahead, and you know, two or three grades ahead in reading. So, so did you have a lot of friends in school? I mean, were you like a, I mean, you're not a- numerous, but I had good friends. I had people that I could trust and rely on and, mm-hmm. and were, was very close to. But, you know, there were those kids, especially in high school that, you know, there's 20 of us and we all hang out together. And I've never seen the value in that. Mm-hmm. As You know, to me, right. it's always like I want two or three people that I know if there's a gun pulled we're getting out there together. Mm-hmm. You know so I mean? you you understand the value of relationships, yeah. or like that you you ha- maybe it's interesting because your parents didn't have much of a relationship, right? No, but you maybe because of your sister, you know, yeah. maybe but that's why. It, it's also to me though, I, the one thing that I hate more than anything, um, and, and almost have a knee jerk reaction to, which I guess is why they always have me on the political shows. It is hypocrisy. If I see somebody exhibiting the exact behavior that they criticize, it just Mm -hmm. gets under my skin. And in the large clusters of friendship, you know, yeah, we're friends, but when somebody walks away, we're talking about them. That drives me crazy. Mm. I don't want that, you know, out of a friend. So, you know, I I don't mind if a friend says that stuff to my face. Because we're all people and we all mess up and we all deserve mm-hmm. criticism. But I want someone whose primary focus is to say it to my face. Right. So that means that you're probably really trustworthy because people know you don't tolerate that and you don't do it. So that that's probably um, – you know, trust is, trust, trust is not, not – trust, trust in another person is not something that people take lightly. It doesn't happen a lot. No. I'm sure you have been disappointed. Yeah. In humanity we, uh, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. We all have, I think. So, but, but okay. I will tell you this. When mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of close friends and people have to prove their friendship to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I have good friends, I've not been disappointed with the good friends very often. There have been mm-hmm. one or two, that, and they were heartbreaking when it happened. Mm-hmm. But for the most part... Um, for instance, one of my childhood friends, Eddie Blacknick, he and I got together all the time. You know, we didn't see each other for 20 years. Just lives went in different directions. And we reconnected about five years ago. And it's like we never lost a beat, mm, you know, and, right. and because it was an honest connection. And even now, politically, we're opposite. I mean, we'll scream at each other for the other person's political mm-hmm. viewpoints. Because he's voting for Trump. Yeah, he is. Um, <laughs> And but still, I've got, you know, I'll scream at him for 20 minutes for voting for him. And then let's go. Let's go have a soda. You know, let's go. You want to go see a movie? You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I can see how that's very grounding, really. You know? Yeah. And um, what about. um, So did you go to college? I did. I did go go to to college. college? um, City College of New York. I went to a lot of different campuses. Uh, I started working as a stand up by 20. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would go to college and then I would drop out to go on the road for a while. Then when I'd come back to the city, I'd re-up. So it took me forever 
to get a degree, mm-hmm. but and degrees literally just there to make my mother happy. Mm-hmm. I've never used it. It's never been important to me, mm-hmm. but it was important to her for some reason. So you've been making a living as a comedian since you you haven't really had any other kinds of jobs, right? No. Occasionally I'll write for TV. Occasionally I'll teach stand-up. But but you don't, yeah. It's no, all industry-related, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you've seen a lot come and go and happen, right? Yeah. You've seen the whole world of comedy evolve. So let's ask you about, because I want to get to that. I want to talk more about that, but I want to get through your through your wives first, because I ah. think that's got to be interesting. Right. So how old were you when you got married the first time? I just turned 21. Wow. So how was that? Another, how'd you meet her? Uh, she was also a stand-up. And, uh, you know, it was a one-night stand that got out of hand. <laughs> That's an interesting way yeah. to put it. It was uh, literally it was just I was incredibly attracted to her. She was incredibly attracted to me. But it's one of those things that was just purely physical. Outside of physical, we really couldn't stand each other. Right. You know? And so we had no. How we, long? How long did you know her before you married her? Uh, Two weeks, three weeks? No, like four or five months. Ah, so you got, Uh, you thought like all that lust, you just thought this is the person for me and I'm going to marry this person and then we're going to like ride off into the sunset. You know, it was, you know. Was that the first woman you were really in love with? No, no, there there were, there was one or two previous, there were two Mm -hmm. previous to that, Mm -hmm. that I actually thought, and I didn't feel for her. The way I felt for either of them, mm-hmm. which should have been like a really big, mm-hmm. you know. But she was like gung ho, let's get married. Uh, and at twenty one, you're there, like, well, you know what? You you got big boobs. We love having sex, and we both do stand up. So yeah, why not? So she 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 kind of made that happen, though. Yeah, and, yeah. And well, it was. I and it's funny because. In life, if you're going to make a mistake, you might as well make a big one. Might as well just make a doozy. Yeah. Uh, And it was one of those ones where heading into it, I was like, oh, this is, this could be horrible. This is, this is a train wreck. And it was horrible. It was a train wreck. Did, did, uh, so, um, how long did that last? Um, on paper, six years, Uh but we, we stopped living together after two and a half. Oh. And just you know, it took forever for one of us to get off our lazy butts and yeah, still a young man. Well, yeah. you got that over with. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. So it was um, and and no kids. So what's the harm, really? Yeah. What's the harm? Um, so that didn't make you cynical enough about marriage not to get married again. No, I mean you know when I met the person I thought was the right person, it was it was clear. And the second time it was all me. She was a little bit more leery than I was, and, and mm-hmm. I was like, no. What, what, how old were you then? Uh, 38. Oh, that seems like a perfect age yeah. to get married. And you probably had dated a lot of girls. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was a fun, fun existence up to that point. Must be weird as a comedian traveling a lot, right? Dating. It's, um, it was epically fun. Let, uh, not to be a pig about it, but it was in the 80s when I was on the road and again in the 90s when I was on the road, you were doing a lot of small towns. You were the closest thing to a rock star going through them. Sure. It was it was the land of milk and honey. 
for mm. you know mm. for a young single man. So yeah, it was you know it not wasn't too like, shabby. Yeah, not too shabby. When I when I got married, it wasn't like oh I wish I would have done this because <laughs> all the things that were on the bucket list were done. You know so. So uh, how did you meet your wife? Uh, again, comedian. So we she was a comedian yeah. also. Yeah, and we just uh, we met on the circuit, and I had always liked her. Um, but whenever I was single, she was uh, in a relationship. Whenever she was single, I was in a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we'd always been a little flirty to each other. And then we were finally both single at the same time. And it was like, do you want to go out? And we did. And we were... We were inseparable for over 10 years. Oh, wow. So yeah. that's a very successful yeah. relationship. Yeah, we just we grew apart. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's unfortunate that people want different things at different points in their lives. Is it hard? I mean, yeah. So you just, you are you guys yeah. still friends, I'm oh, guessing? We're, we're the best of friends. Yeah. There's, there's zero animosity. I adore her parents. I consider them my parents. Oh, nice. You know, and and... You know, we still talk all the time, you know, and, and I I will eternally be grateful for those years. Those are probably the most civilized years of my life. <laughs> um, and, and and all of that. So it, it's not that stereotypical, you know, it's horrible. I will say that the end is, is, is always bad. There's never a good ending to mm-hmm. a relationship, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it took about, I'd say, a year and a half for the mm-hmm. hurt feelings mm-hmm. to go away. But once the hurt feelings went away, it was – we were able to get back to being friends, you know, and, and at least keep that part of it. Mm-hmm. Now that – so that didn't end that long ago then maybe. No, like no. That ended like – Four or five years? Yeah, uh, 2012. Yeah. Um, so, um, have – has she, like, has she been dating – like, do you guys – have you I'm, moved? Have either of you moved on, or? Well, uh, you know, I'm dating, and oh right, assume, you're engaged, yeah, so you have moved on. I'm right. assuming she has as well. I, but we don't ask. You don't, talk a don't about ask. Don't tell policy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's but, like you know, no, neither one of us wants to rub salt into the other's wounds. See, see, I want my listeners to take that as a really good example of a really positive relationship because people do change, and I think that like. Um, you know, ending a, a relationship, just calling it quits when you think it's over, not because you don't like the person, not because you don't love the person. It's just like you don't make sense as a couple anymore, right? Yeah. And, you know, it and was. there's nothing wrong with that. No, but, you know, devil's advocate here. There's there's going to be one person that recognizes that and the other person that doesn't. Uh-huh. You know, and so one person's always going to have hurt feelings when yeah. it ends. Well, and that's what's hard to get over. Yeah. So so yeah. now I have to ask. So who was the one that didn't recognize? Oh, I was the one that didn't recognize it. I was the one with the the hurt feelings. But you know, in hindsight, she was absolutely correct to make uh-huh. the decision she did. Um, uh-huh. Now, did it take me two years to figure that out? Yeah, of course it did. But you had a growth experience too, yeah. right? But again, you know, um, I would have rather not had the growth experience. You know, and I think most people would say the same thing, but it's it's for the best at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And you have somebody that you're enjoying yeah. now. That's yeah. what that's what's important. So, is it really hard having a relationship with two comp comedians like that? How well, is that? It was. Um, what What's that like? Competitive. Uh, 
every time one of you works for Booker that the other doesn't, there's hurt feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, I would say the single best thing I learned from the breakup of the second marriage was to never, ever, ever again date somebody in the arts. <laughs> and and not that I hear that people I I gotta I agree I, you're right and, and it's not like like if you're a plumber date somebody in the arts your life will be wonderful they're they're creative and they're mystical people but there's when I'm in the arts and they're in the arts there's too many places for hurt feelings too many intersections quite honestly you know if if Jesse, you know the woman I'm I'm with now, if she gets a raise tomorrow, it's not like I'm going to be like, well, why didn't the Booker pay me the same amount of money? You know, I'm happy you're getting a raise at your job. You know, I mean, just stereotypically, I'm inclined to think that you were probably doing better than her because maybe you're a guy or something, or uh, no, or she, you're around long. You know, you've been around forever. Or, we both had periods. She'd been around forever too. We both had periods where. We we were doing well or better than the other one. There were periods where I was definitely, you know, in in, in the uh, in the black and and she wasn't. And there were periods where it was the other way around. Because you understand this, the arts are cyclical, right? You know, and you're someone's flavor of the moment at one moment, and then right. they're tired of you for a little while, and then all of a sudden you're rediscovered, right? <laughs> it's yes, you know, I've been rediscovered yeah. now five times. Mm. It's like I haven't gone anywhere, people. You can, you can discover me here, right here, right here, you Radio want. Free Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. Note. So, um, but what about the um, like the quality of the work? Like, did you ever think like, I mean, was that ever threatening or being supportive of each other's creative development, things like that? Um, no, I think we were very supportive of each other creatively. I think that's probably what draws you to date another artist is mm-hmm. that there's somebody that gets it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's one of the hardest things for me to explain, even now in the relationship, is wanting to stay up another two hours to get the wording to a joke perfectly. Yes. You know, and I, nobody gets that unless you're a person who has stayed up for two hours to get the wording. No, I get, I well, yeah, yeah I, would, I would, I would, yes. Yeah. And I think a lot of my listeners, because, yeah. yeah, we, I'm sure we've got all these creative people out here. Yeah. So, um, but what about like the scheduling and the traveling and all that shit? We, um, we had originally, and that, I would say in the first marriage, it was a salvation and that's what let us stay together for the two and a uh, half because you weren't together all yeah, the time, right? Yeah, you know, she'd go on the road, I'd be home, I'd go on the road, she'd be home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we basically had holidays together for those two and a half years. Um, but in the second one, we originally started where we could both go on the road at the same time. And then it got to be where it was, all right, you could go on the road or I could go on the road, but the other person's got to be here for your parents and for our dog and to take care of the stuff in the house. Mm -hmm. So then it was like, all right, you know, I'd say the last two years, 80% of the time we were apart. And, you know, that gave her time to think of what she wanted and, and, you know, it should have given me the same thing. I just didn't. Well, you, you know, know, everybody's got different needs and it's, you know, yeah. whatever. You maybe, you know, you you also seem extremely focused on your work. Yeah. So, um, you know, maybe maybe that like, I mean, uh, I hate to use this term, but charm and downfall. I mean, it may it's probably 
makes you a great person in so many ways, but it's probably also really difficult because once you're, I'm guessing once you're comfortable with somebody, um, what it does is give you the chance to focus on your work even more. Yeah. um, (laughs) Right. uh, My, uh, my woman now refers to herself as my mistress and that comedy is actually my love and that she's the mistress. So how does she handle, are you away a lot now? No, I've, I'm at the point in my career where I can make enough money in and around New York that I don't have to be on the road as much. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a plus. Plus the last year and a half I've been dealing with some health issues. So I'm sorry. Yeah, so it's been – I've been tethered to the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have to admit the wanderlust is mm-hmm. is there big time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she she's actually benefited from me not being medically cleared to fly. Ah, well, <laughs> yeah. I see. So if I get medically cleared to fly, it's going to change things. But – you know, it's taking a while. But she knows who she's dealing with, and yeah. it's just like she knows that the comedy comes first. Yeah, and she's and cool she's with supportive that. and and loves it, and you know, she takes her friends out to see me, and you know, oh yeah, it's it's I, it's sure. fun. She get she gets yeah, yeah. You know, it sounds like a good match. You know, it's really and if there are some comics in the audience who've dated outside of stand up, they'll they'll get this. You get to see what it's like through somebody else's eyes. Oh, what stand-up is like, yeah. Because yeah. right. I, uh, I did Live at Gotham, TV show Live at Gotham, and she was in the audience. And to me, it was just another set. Mm-hmm. And just the look on her face when, you know, the cameras and, you know. Oh, the yeah. The, right. It It was, you know. I'm she, like, it's not that big a deal. She, she thought she was with Jay Leno. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> wow. No, yeah, yeah. You forget. So, um, yeah, so anyway, um, well, that's interesting. You know, yeah, you have grown a lot through your work, I think. I mean, that's what it, it seems like. That's what it sounds like. I hope it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and through getting close to a lot of people, a lot of women, you know, a lot of people, I bet that's, you know, yeah. it sounds like you, you know, you don't avoid getting involved with, with the, with the other people and that's right. No. And that's, that's like pretty, that's pretty yeah. cool. Um, yeah. So I wanted to get your take on, we, t- we talked about this for a second, uh, while we were, uh, waiting to start the show. And I, I wanted to hear from your point of view, your infinite, you know, experience so i was saying to you that i don't like you're i don't you know i i'm a real love comedy mostly uh mostly what i'm really interested in is this alt comedy stuff and um i was asking you if you knew who chris gethard is and you know you know him personally or no i i I know his work yeah so and then uh you know the person who i'm a really big fan of um who i've who I do know personally, and uh, probably, well, Joe Firestone. Like, I just think, like, I wish I could be, I could re- be reborn as her. I just think she's incredible. Um, and her work is really conceptual and all this stuff, and it really fits in. I'm just saying, this is something yeah. that fits in with what I'm doing, which is a lot more visually art-based, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
So um, I just wanted to, you were starting to talk about the difference between the alt comedy scene and the, what do you call it, classic stand-up scene? or Old Timers Day? Um, no, yeah, explain to well, me mainstream what's, what's scene, the deal. There, well, there's a mainstream scene that was born out of, you know, a lot of the guys that uh, were traditional. I mean, you could draw a line back from what somebody like myself does or or to use a celebrity uh, variation of it, somebody like a Bill Maher who's going up there and doing, you know, lives and stories and things that matter to him. Uh, and you could trace that back all the way through Bob Hope and beyond back into the, mm-hmm. you know, 18th century if you wanted to. And it, it's very, it's very mm-hmm. big. But, you know, there there were a whole host of conceptual comics that would pop up very briefly over the years. You know, guys like Ernie Kovacs in the 50s or mm-hmm. uh, Lord Buckley mm-hmm. in the late 50s, mm-hmm. early 60s, you know, Kaufman mm-hmm. in the 70s, and, and they've been fewer and far between. But now there seems to be a boom of, of those type of alternative comics. And, mm-hmm. in fact, it, it's kind of taking over, mm-hmm. you know, the comedy industry. And I could see why. It's a fresher perspective. It's, it's not as... Um, redundant mm-hmm. as as things have been in the past and since there's as much as much weight placed on the visual as there is on the verbal um it makes for better social media you know why do you branding. say visual uh, because i'm watching what a lot of comics are doing and you know you get a look of style you get a look of you know an entire package that's put together uh, as opposed to a stand-up, I'm going to roll out of bed. I'm going to throw on jeans and whatever shirt happens to not be wrinkled too badly that day and go on and tell whatever jokes I feel like telling. The, there are guys now, especially in the alt scene, that are putting care into what's their physical style, how do they look. They're bringing props on stage. They're bringing music, incorporating music into what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a mm-hmm. lot of audiovisual pieces. And when you translate that to a three-minute YouTube clip, what's more impressive? Mm-hmm. Watching somebody who's got a look and some bells I and whistles or a guy that's standing behind a microphone and saying, okay, let's talk about drinking for three minutes. So you think the medium has – the medium the medium is the mess, as Marshall McLuhan says. But um, so do you think that – I think that the tools have – the tools are now existing to make alternative comedy – Mm-hmm. As accessible as mainstream comedy mm-hmm. always was. Mm-hmm. And that's that's increasing the popularity because people haven't seen it. Um, for instance, I'm one of those rare people that I generally think women are funnier than men. And I know <laughs> that that usually gets me kicked out of the male comedy fraternity for a couple of weeks. But I do. Mm-hmm. Um, because the point of view hasn't been done to death like it has been in the male comedian genre. I mean, show me a comic that's going to talk about sex that prior didn't do the same joke better. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Or, or is going to talk about the relationship with their mother that prior didn't do the same joke better. Right. We, we've got a bigger history and it's been done to death. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, female comedy, you know, outside of, you know, Joan Rivers and Phyllis Diller and Moms Mabley, mm-hmm. who are more characters, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't had, you know, original organic voices in female comedy as long. Mm. So there are still fresher topics to to carve. You know, whether or not you like Amy Schumer, whether or not she's your cup of tea, to have a woman to come on stage with the libido, you mm-hmm. know, and say, I'm about 140 pounds, but I can pull a dick anytime I want, 
that hasn't been heard. We haven't had that in comedy, you know, much prior to where we are right now. Right. And right. that's that's a more unique voice. And I think the alternative comics are are the same thing. They've got they're able to present something fresher because we haven't seen it as much. So what's the feeling between um like the alt comedy world and the what do you what do you guys call it? The stand-up? Mainstream world? Mainstream? Mainstream comedy world? I guess, yeah, that makes sense, right? (laughs) Um, All mainstream? I think everyone has a different relationship with it. I know that there's a lot of times where I'll be invited to go to an alt room, and and when I go up to perform there, you know, guys are rolling their eyes like this old guy, you know, Mm -hmm. and and I get that. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a lot of times where I've been on stage at traditional rooms like the comic stripper got them, and an alt guy goes on stage, and the audience is like, what's happening? We don't mm-hmm. get it. Right. So, I mean, there's pitfalls uh, on each side of it. You know, comedy exists for an audience. And the alt the alt community has an audience right now. So it's going to exist. And, and the industry has to accept that. I think the industry yeah. is slow to accept that. You know, it, it's... You're That's not interesting. See, you're not seeing as many TV spots go the alt-comics way as it is going to the traditional comics way, even though I think you get more dollars spent in alternative rooms than there are in mainstream rooms. I, a couple of weeks ago, I did um, two spots. On a Tuesday, I did a mainstream room and an alternative room, and on a Wednesday, I did a mainstream room and an alternative room. And in both cases, mainstream rooms were 15, 20 people in the audience, and the alternative rooms were packed to the gills. Hmm. You know, but so, but also you're working locally now. Yeah, does that have something to do with it? It, it might, but the you know the other part of that is, if if those little rooms are packed to the gills, you know that has to tell you that the medium is popular, and the right. industry. You know, what is, what is the in in the industry? Do you feel like they want classic? What do you when you say? I think the industry knows what to do with the classic comic. But you mm-hmm. don't necessarily know what to do with an alternative well, comedy. What about Comedy Central? I, and I think they're really quick to give somebody a half-hour special mm-hmm. or or to try and design a TV show around them. But there's a reason why Comedy Central's pretty much stopped doing those stand-up shows where, you know, mm-hmm. six people are doing it because the younger comics are increasingly more alternative. And it's hard to say to somebody, okay... Uh, you know, I want the three minutes where you're, you know, making fun of hockey shirts. I see. You know what I, I mean? I see. That's interesting. And, and that's the the medium has got to reshape and refigure out how to package the young talent. So, what about Broad City? Where would you put that? Would you put that in mainstream, or would you put I'd, that in? I'd all? put that in alternative. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely alternative. It, it's wonderful, you know, and, and I hate the terms. You know, the, yeah. to me, it's not mainstream. It's not alternative. Andy Kaufman made me belly laugh. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I don't know how much the audience is comedy aficionados, but I listened to Lord Buckley and howled, just literally howled, you know, and both those guys would be considered alternative comics, you know? Right. So I, I think there's funny and there's not funny. And, yeah. And we need to we need to market it that way. We're just not doing that yet. Hmm. So anyway, we have like one second left. Um, I want every.